I remember very distinctly when I was pregnant with my second daughter. My older daughter was three and a half years old. And she looked at me one day when I was about two weeks from having a baby and said, how does the baby come out? So I sat down and explained to her the anatomy terms that she already knew. He said the baby usually comes out through the vagina. Women are given this very special anatomical um, or organ, whatever you want to call it, that, that works well to have babies. And she looks at me with this very quizzical look and she goes, I think they come out with a ladder. And then we moved on. And it was a sweet, brief conversation where um, one of the biggest things I, I have found, especially with that age, is that you answer the question they are asking. Um, you don't necessarily have to impose significant expectations on what they're saying. You really just want to answer their question. No fuss, simple terms, and then you move on. Well, you've picked up on it by now. We are definitely talking about talking to your children about sex. So you might be aware of uh, that based on whoever's in the car with you. Come here, Tex. Look, Tex is here with us. Tex will never have to worry about having a sex talk because of certain procedures that he's undergone in his lifetime, which has some blessings and, and, and some hardships that go along with it. Anyhow, we believe in building a multi-generational family of faith. Um, and part of doing that is helping your children create strong worldviews on subjects like these. So uh, you're about to hear a great conversation that's going to happen between Mark and his wife, Amelia. Amelia is a practicing OBGYN in Salt Lake City, and she gives talks to school groups and to church groups, and she does a lot of training in her normal job on the body and sex. And um, we, we just couldn't have a more experienced or, or better guest to talk to us about these things. And I couldn't be more pleased to present to you Mark and Amelia Parrott. They're about to talk about this important subject. But first, this is Abraham's Wallet. Join us weekly and create a culture in your family of multi-generational prosperity, spiritually, relationally, physically, intellectually, and financially. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Amelia, why don't you tell us about your first uh, talk with your parents <laughs> about the birds and the bees? Well, it uh, fortunately happened, you know, the day before my wedding. So I had a lot of time to uh, be prepared. Now, mind you, at that point, I was already a first-year medical student. So um, it was a little bit of a, a mistimed approach, I might say, um, although I think there was a lot of good in the heart topic. Um, and I guess I might say better late than never yeah. would be reasonable. Well, you had you had godly parents yep. who demonstrated, I mean, a lot of what we're going to talk about before we even dive into sex is what what healthy relationships with gender look like but they demonstrated a lot of those things and yet i remember you probably you called this was probably before we texted very often and said you are not going to believe what happened we want to prevent you from being in that situation where do we start well, I think the, the the first thing that is really important, and I talk about this in the maturation talk with the fifth graders, is that the only way that these conversations are going to make sense is if they're in the context of what your family is already building around the theology and foundation of what is marriage. 
what is it for? What's the role of the husband? What's the role of the wife? What are the expected fruit that will come from that relationship? So the conversation of sex is sort of just an add-on to what you're already building and demonstrating for your kids. If you don't have that foundation, if you, you haven't started that conversation with your kids about, hey, this is what marriage is, this is what the husband is, this is what the wife is, this is how it models the church, then you can start planting those seeds. And then that gives you kind of a foundation for why are we going to have this really awkward conversation about sex? Um, because sex fits very nicely into God's theology for what marriage is. This is something that we talk to our kids about from the time they can understand us is we are praying, we bless them at Shabbat that they would become mothers. So that that has expectations in it for why they would even get married. Well, I was going to say, you always have opportunities to sort of hash these things out. And especially if you have real tiny littles who aren't going to be asking you a lot of these big questions yet, this is a great time to start really pouring into what does scripture say about this? How can we reflect this? How can we kind of um, model this? So that again, when these conversations come up, they're sort of a very small piece of a puzzle or a very small piece of a foundation that you've already built. Um, and it doesn't seem awkward or surprising to have these conversations. What are, what are they? What are the key things that you need to have like down? I mean, these are big questions. Um, I think one of them is that the purpose of marriage is to be open to children. Um, I think a marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, I think that there's an understanding that sex is a procreative gift that God has given us, um, and it's used in the appropriate context to provide both enjoyment and edification for partners, but also to provide kids who are a huge blessing. Are we going to read and obey what scripture says and figure out how we can kind of benefit from it versus creating something that's different and, and disagreeing? And um, these are big questions. And I think that sometimes couples start and as they dial in, and are obedient to scripture, then there is the change in what they think. And there's couples that start out saying, hey, this is just going to be about us. But if you kind of are willing to be open and, and submit to scripture, there's almost always a change of heart that produces children. Yeah. Everybody, it's always just about us at the start. Um, I, to some degree, we might say we're open to a lot of things. Marriage is a very refining process and you said that we have to have a sort of anchor in the scripture. So what does the scripture say? Where do you start when you're going to the scripture in this conversation? I mean, I think you can start super early. If you go to Genesis 2, 24 through 25, you know, first book of the Bible, we're not moving very far. You're just a couple pages in. And I use this in the maturation talk too, when I'm talking to the girls about nothing is new that we are encountering. So 24:25 says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the, his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So, you know, we're two books into the Bible and we've already talked about sex. We've talked about that it's between a man and a woman, that there's not shame associated with it, that there's the creation of one um, and that that is something that we're called to do. So I start there because everybody's read Genesis for the most part, um, and it's a good launching point. There's a lot there. There's lack of shame. There's, uh, like you said, kind of physical connection, created design. Like, I always think about that. What were Adam and Eve's first thoughts? Did, they, did it take them any time? You and I have even <laughs> had this conversation. Were they like, okay, how does this exactly, or was it just like, you know, Hollywood movies where they knew exactly what to do and everything was in perfect synchronization. That's right. 
Yeah. What do you think? I mean, I got to imagine there was a degree of um, ease to this. It doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of question about what was happening there. Seems pretty natural to me. Yeah. I guess they could have watched like the the animals, the tigers or something, <laughs> the nice tigers that weren't mean to them. Okay. What else you got from, from the scriptures? Uh, the other thing I always talk to the girls about, especially, is the idea that the things that we talk about are private, but they're not shameful. So there's a really beautiful passage in First um, Corinthians that's talking about the body of Christ, uh, but then it also uses the allegory of the of physical body as well. And so I read this um, to kind of help the girls understand that we're going to be talking about something that's sensitive, but that's not shameful. Um, and that gives a context for it. So if you get to First Corinthians 12, um, 21 is where I'm going to start. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may all have the same care for one another. So there's just this idea, there's a ton of stuff that you can unpack in here about um, just physical bodies and then tie it into that sexuality. The idea that we have parts that are required to be given greater modesty, but that that doesn't bring the the idea of shame to them. Um, So I love using that one so that we can kind of premise the conversation of, hey, we're going to be talking about things that are private and sensitive and deserve special honor, um, but that aren't something that we need to be ashamed of talking about. The scriptures are not ashamed of sex. The scriptures are not ashamed of the body. The church world I grew up in just didn't talk about this stuff because it was shameful. So I think it's a, a really good thing to see that the scripture's not ashamed of it. Paul talks about the the parts that are private and what, what was the word he used? Deserving of yeah, more modesty. Um, I think we could assume what parts he was talking about there. I think so. The world has a definition of what it means to not be ashamed. And that definition is totally different than what the scriptures want us to think about our body. You know, the world would say, you should just be you, meaning whatever you want to do with your body is great. As long as it probably doesn't harm anyone, then you should be unashamed. And the scriptures say, no, there's there's good and right ways to treat the body and there's sin. And so we want to raise children that understand that there's humongous opportunities for sin when it comes to this area of sex. And there's a beautiful, wonderful created design that's actually one of the great delights that the Lord gave us. So uh, I know you have things to say, so I'm going to give it to you. But like, how do we start that out from, I don't know, day one, whenever you would sort of think that's time to get started? I think for a lot of it, it has to do with speaking to your kids clearly um, and specifically about what their body is and what it's for. So, you know, ages zero to probably three to four, most of your conversations are going to be centered around what is this on my body? What's it for? Why are we, how are boys and girls different in this? Um, And I think that the less 
ashamed you can be about talking about these, the better it is for them. So when there are questions that are asked, feeling comfortable using anatomical names is a really big deal, um, explaining the purpose behind them. If you have other children or you are pregnant and you have young children, um, having age-appropriate conversations with them that don't shroud things in mystery. I remember very distinctly when I was pregnant with my second daughter. My older daughter was three and a half years old. And she looked at me one day when I was about two weeks from having a baby and said, how does the baby come out? So I sat down and explained to her the anatomy terms that she already knew. He said, the baby usually comes out through the vagina. Women are given this very special anatomical um, or organ, whatever you want to call it, that, that works well to have babies. And she looks at me with this very quizzical look and she goes, I think they come out with a ladder. And then we moved on. And it was a sweet, brief conversation where um, one of the biggest things I, I have found, especially with that age, is that you answer the question they are asking. Um, you don't necessarily have to impose significant expectations on what they're saying. You really just want to answer their question. No fuss, simple terms, and then you move on. But that's kind of the building block is so that zero to five age is just um, helping them understand who they are, what their body parts are, what they're for. Um, and that, again, there are certain body parts that we keep private, that we keep modest. Um, we even start the conversation about good touch, bad touch, who's appropriate to see these body parts. All those things can just kind of be naturally brought in um, to your family without a whole lot of, of um, plus. Yeah, I think that the bathtub is one of the places where sex education begins when you have little kids. It's like, what am I looking at here? And, you know, it even like having seen our kids grow up a little bit, there also comes a time when they're, they're these innocent little kids. And then maybe, you know, they're too old to be running around naked when there's guests or something. And we'll go, okay, we need to revisit that. And, and a lot of those conversations, they don't have to be this weighty, I'm going to explain to you why you have, like, I don't think there's any sin involved in this. It's just simple education and, um, yeah, I'm probably guilty more than you of trying to answer more than they're asking and going, oh, okay, especially as a dad of daughters is like, am I going to have to be the one? Like, I don't want to defer to say, just ask your mom to everything. But I also want to, um, there's a part of me that, that probably would, would occasionally think a little kid was asking me to give them the entire talk when really they were just saying something very innocent and simple. So it's good advice. Stage one, then. And let me tell you too, there's a couple, there's a book that's pretty good to kind of give you some launching points. If this feels very unfamiliar to you, if you don't have the language, and um, there's a really sweet old book series called God's Design for Sex. It's got kind of a sequential um books that you can go through starting with book one. Um, and that's a good place to start if you kind of feel like you lack the language or the pizzazz to say it. There's also an old Berenstein Bears book. I haven't read it, but it's been recommended as another option for kind of those really tiny um, conversations. And to share with you that my kids as, as daughters of OBGYNs, I was not very um, opaque in how I described things. I picked up my middle daughter from school uh, one day from kindergarten. Uh, it was the Christmas season. Um, so she's you know, five. Um, and we were talking about all the things about Mary and Joseph. And as I pick her up, her very sweet kindergarten teacher comes to me and she just goes, so I just wanted to let you know 
that today Esther shared with the whole class that Mary had a vaginal delivery and not a cesarean section. (laughs) And I thought to myself, well, I mean, she's right. I gave her the right information. So I'm curious how many kids had to have some follow-up conversations after Esther shared the way that Jesus was indeed born. (laughs) And I think that's funny because at the time, Esther did not know like how that how babies were made, for example. So really what she knew was anatomy. And she knew, like you said, Kyla had asked, like she knew how babies came out of the body. So that's that's kind of st- stage one is age is, as soon as they're starting to talk up until three or four years old. We'll put no- links to those books in the show notes so people can see them. I'm very sensitive to wanting to preserve innocence. Like that's something that uh, there's a degree to which we have to be shrewd as parents here. Because if you just say, I'm not going to talk to my kid until the day before their wedding night, <laughs> then they're going to just learn all this stuff elsewhere. And we want to be the voice that teaches them. Um, but that being said, I'm also not willing to just let let the voices of the world say sorry to throw the emergency break on that conversation but i just want to remind you about our texas gathering that's happening for abraham's wallet people uh that's june 7th we're meeting at the chicken and pickle in grand prairie Uh, my sister used to live in grand prairie what do you know it's going to be a big fun time but our space for our courts is limited so what we need is for people to sign up You can either sign up by emailing us, you can put it in comments, or if you're a member of our Abe's Wallet headquarters, AWHQ, you'll see notices about it there and we'd love for you to sign up and we'd love to see you in Texas. We're also offering a limited edition uh, t-shirt. It's our first uh, Abe's Wallet t-shirt. We kind of like the design, it's fun, and you'll see that uh, at Abe's Wallet HQ. Um, all right, back to Mark and Amelia. The voices of the world say, uh, we're going to uh, force your kids to, to give up some childlike innocence before they're ready. So I think that on the timeline stuff, you and I are probably not dictating the specific ages where this needs to happen. It might be five. It might be seven for one of your kids. Um, but we're going, we're going to move now to stage two, where we start talking about what's God's design for how these bodies that he gave you, whether that's a male body or female body, work together to produce babies. I think in that first stage, babies come from a mom and a dad is totally appropriate. Yes. I think babies come from sex and here's the mechanics of how that works is probably too much. Yes. Uh, so they might know that babies come from a mom and a dad. I think our kids might have even known by the time they were four that there's a part from the mom and a part from the dad, and God uses that to create a baby. Um, and in our adult brains, I was thinking, well, kids are just going to ask for details. And no, they're not, uh, like you said. But stage two is where we start going, how does it work? So talk, talk to us about how you go through this topic, and I know... You've even talked to people who are quite a bit older than that five to seven range that you were telling about this stuff for the first time. 
Yeah, I think, again, couched in the context, you've already built this wonderful foundation of marriage. They understand it's between a man and a wife. They understand the purpose behind it. So then the conversation about sex becomes a very kind of natural little piece. Um, There's a couple tricks, I think, that are really important during this specific age. One of the things you want to try really hard to do is beat the schoolyard. So whatever peers your kids are hanging around, um, you would like to ideally be the first person that talks to them about this. And the other thing is that a lot of times if you have older children, sometimes the talk happens a little bit sooner with subsequent kiddos because your family, your youngest kid is kind of the age of your current family is the way that I think about it. Um, For us, we had those conversations together. So we sat down together with our kids when they were seven um, and sort of walked very specifically through what happened. I couched it in the conversation because I have girls of a little bit of kind of a glimpse into puberty and some of the changes that they were going to go through um, because puberty is tied into the understanding that you are a man, you're a boy, you'll become a man, you're a girl, you're going to become a woman. So I really wanted to kind of start planting some of those seeds about the expectations they were going to have about changes in their body and the reason they were going to go through those changes. And then that ties into the understanding of, well, you're going through these changes so that your body has the potential to become a mother or a father. And then this is how that process happens. And we have, our littlest one is probably going to get the talk in the next year. Um, But we have had our first daughter very quiet, listened very thoughtfully, no questions. Our middle daughter, we sat down, we had the whole talk, very confused, lots of questions, didn't really have any. And then the follow-up day, can I share this? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> the follow-up day, she comes up to me and she goes, did you and dad do that? And then the follow-up question, which was one I was not prepared to answer, was both how many times and where do people do this in? So I got some good follow-up questions from the second one. <laughs> the first one was a little bit quieter. But those are great chances to kind of revisit it and, again, talk about what's a marriage, what's it for, what are the things that happen in the context of marriage. But um, I had a hard time keeping a straight face with some of those questions. And I will also tell you that I know in talking to the girls, I teach the fifth graders, There are some girls that this information is really new, um, and I think I am happy to provide the information, um, but I I would really encourage you as parents to be the first people that sit down and share with your kids about this. Um, I can tell you that in my daughter's third grade class, there was a conversation recently about animals mating, and there was one kid that had not gotten the talk and was very confused about what mating was. Um, So if your third grader doesn't know what mating is, they're going to be the only one in the classroom. And so I would encourage those conversations to have happened already. And that's that kind of cap age of seven um, is when you want to kind of start dialing some of that stuff in. There's such a an anchor that you give your kids when they have an understanding for why they're going through these things. Why are we having these conversations with them? I um, mean, it, it gives them something to hang on to when culture isn't going to give them anything to hang on to. Culture is going to say, do whatever you want. When you have these big emotions, let them dictate your actions. Um, there isn't any plan or purpose in what your body is going through. And in fact, you have the option to opt out of it if you would like to. These are all things that, that your kids are going to experience and giving them the anchor of what scripture says and, and what the body's created for, all of this stuff is just going to provide so much stability for them during a time when so many things are changing.
So stage one is the parts. Stage two is the mechanics of how they go together. Um, stage three, I think, probably is all the rest. So it might be from age, you know, 10 until they're out of your care. Uh, and what I'm curious to hear you talk about here, because this is where you spend the most time talking to kids who aren't our own, is what is the order that we should introduce things to kids? And um, I don't know, maybe you can disagree with me if this is wrong, but it feels like uh, they're going to get all of it eventually from the world. Uh, so kind of how do you balance that? I want to maintain their innocence as kids. And also, for example, if you haven't talked to a child about the pre- the existence of pornography by a certain age, they will be encountering it completely unaware of what they're coming up against. If you haven't talked to a child about the even like the the pressures that other kids might put on them to share a picture that the you know stuff that we didn't really deal with as much as kids because we didn't you know our kids don't have phones but there are kids that have phones um, around them either just at the park or even kids that would go to the same school a few of them have phones so um, give me kind of your timeline as you introduce kids to this talk of where where you go from okay we've got the mechanics basically understood now we're going into how do i make sense of the world when it comes to sex there are valuable things to start planting as you go along um i would say one of the things is is helping kids understand that there are good i call them good pictures bad pictures cuz most of the things kids are going to encounter specifically with regards to pornography are going to be pictures for most kids there is um, access to internet that we didn't have. So I talk about this in our in my maturation talk with the girls. I talk specifically about online safety. Um, one of the things that I have found really helpful in language is is helping kids understand that if they see something that creates a feeling of shame or embarrassment, that they can actually, the first thing they should do, which is the opposite of what they want to do, is they actually should go tell an adult. Um, and so it gives them a, an understanding that when they look at pornography or there's some, someone's house and they see something and they look at it and it brings all these emotions, shame, embarrassment, maybe even like desire, all these things that they don't know what to do with, that, that they actually can have freedom by talking to us about it. So the sort of steps that I specifically describe for kids is if you see something that creates these feelings, if it's inappropriate pictures, specifically people that aren't clothed or in compromising positions, put it down and go find an adult right away. Um, the ability for kids to to speak um, and, and not hide those experiences really gives them a chance to not ever get sucked into the um, sort of vortex of shame around all of these things, which is sort of pervasive in our culture. I also can't emphasize enough, um, specifically for teenage girls, um, access to social media um, on devices is 100% a bad idea. There's just nothing in it that's good for them. It's not connection with peers. It's not um, being up on the latest trends. Um, teenage girls specifically are incredibly prone to anxiety and depression as related to exposure to social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. And then those are also things which expose them to external people, people you don't know. They have access to your kids. So I am pretty explicit in my conversations, um, especially with the maturation talk, that I tell people if you have smartphones for your kids, get rid of them. If you need a device to talk to your kid, there are cheap, non um, 
Tell them what we use. Yeah, we use the Gab phone, which is 20 bucks a month. It's a phone that has text and um, phone only. You can't send pictures. You can't receive pictures. Um, and that gives us a chance to be able to talk to our daughter. We don't have a landline, but it also prevents some of those temptations. I also, I also will say if you as a parent are addicted to these other or stuck in these ruts, you got to address the only thing, the things that are happening for you as well. So if you are on your phone, if you're on social media, if you're spending a lot of time um, investing in that, uh, your kids are going to see it and they're going to model it. And even as adults, it's difficult for us to regulate access and exposure. Um, I know certainly for men, pornography is a big issue. Um, women, I think it's more an, an issue of, of feeling left out. It leads, like I said, to a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Um, if you're struggling with those yourself, you take this as an invitation to get free um, and, and find some um, healing for yourself. And then that allows you to model it for your kids a little bit better. I know you've run across kids as you've given these talks. And I have talked to parents who have been in the situation where um, pornography specifically, but it doesn't even have to be pornography. I mean, there's plenty of stuff on like, quote, safe platforms, Netflix, I think I don't I don't have Netflix, but like wherever there's content coming into your house, there's a good chance that there's going to be stuff that can be accessed there that is not uh not what you want for your kids, but even that is like outright sexually explicit. So I think your admonition is important. If there's if there's addictions or even like habits in your house, I'll just tell you, they're going to come out and your kids are going to get their hands on the things that you might think it's just parent stuff. So I I mean, obviously the the when we were kids, it was like, somebody's dad had the stack of playboys in the closet. Um, and now I actually think what you're saying about social media, like it might not be something that externally feels like, Oh, this is a big sin. But like if mom is constantly on Instagram, you even have taken steps to like cut that out of our, of our house. And so I I think that's really good. Um, what, what have we missed in terms of before I get into the final stage, which is, kind of how to talk to kids. We talked about kind of pornography. We talked about the good design for sex. We're starting to get kids now. And I know you've talked to kids who are way in this because they're in like late in high school. There's things that are just on blast in the culture that are completely at odds with God's design for sex. So what do you think about combating those things? Kind of that would in my mind, be the the last phase of how we do sex education inside the home. Yeah, I think it comes back to sort of the foundation you built at the very beginning, um, understanding what your theology is, and then having really thoughtful conversations with your kids about what are the messages that they're getting from culture, not pretending like we're going to stick our head in the sand and, and not be aware of what's happening around us, but really have a good understanding of the other side's arguments, and then being able to tie it back to scripture, tie it back to truth, so that when your kids encounter something, it's not new or surprising, and they actually have an understanding for, hey, why are people leaning this way? Where are they missing the um, call to be obedient? What is the desire behind it? And then how does God sort of give us an answer or a... um, 
description of things that is different from them. So I don't think the answer is that you hide your kids and you don't have conversations about what people around them are are going through. I think you talk about them and you bring up the best arguments from the other side, and then you understand your own theology. You understand your own relationship with God in a way that those arguments don't necessarily have the same pull. So I think um, certainly, again, not being afraid to tackle some of these things. Um, you want to give your kids appropriate uh, equipment um, and um, information so that when they're encountering people who believe something different, they have a heart that is full of love, but it's also full of truth. And those are the two things that you really want to equip your kids with um, when you're facing these things specifically. I would have loved to wait to talk about sort of sexual deviancy until my kids were in high school, uh, but that's almost impossible now. Uh, so the fact that everybody puts up rainbow flags for a month, a year in our city, um, my kids notice that and they go, what is this? Are we, are we for this or against this? And the little ones, all they know is we're against this and it can turn them into kind of extremists. Yeah. Little extremists. Uh, <laughs> And yet I've noticed as my kids get older, we have to have that conversation about our goal is actually to see people repent and follow Christ and be redeemed. Um, and so we start telling stories, not just of, hey, this is something we're against, but also Jesus can save save people from all manner of stuff. And he's even helped us. Mom and dad has have even been helped to rightly order this sort of thing that God made in us called sexuality because of Christ. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I will share that as an OB, I take care of teenagers who get pregnant. Um, and for the most part, these are unintentional pregnancies. Um, obviously, the result of sex, which again, I hope you have talk to your kids about this. And I can see in families that recognize, hey, there was a mistake made, but we love our kid and we are going to support them. Even in the midst of the decisions that they've made, there is such redemption that happens um, during those those pregnancies because you see people like, I mean, I remember I've had patients come and, and they come with their mom oftentimes because there's a guy that's not involved and the mom says, well, you know, this isn't quite what we had imagined, but we love our daughter and we are delighted that there is another child that's going to come into the world and we're going to walk beside her and we're going to support her the whole time. So I don't think that in the conversation and the context of all of this stuff, there is anything that is unredeemable from the Lord. Um, and I think that it's important that your kids understand that, that if there are mistakes made, if there are infractions or if there are offenses, that there isn't anything that they could do that is too big to separate them from Jesus. Um, and I think that's a really important um, seed to plant for your kids um, to, to help give them the, the hope that we all have um, in what, what Jesus offers us. A, when you, when you build this the right way in your home, and it means that there's not a lot of shame, there's not shame around the body or sex, and your kids see marriage in a healthy kind of biblically ordered way in the household, and they even aspire to that, uh, the world starts to sound stupid when it tells them you should think about getting married before you turn 36. Um, because I think our kids are like, well, we want children. God made us, we have daughters, so God made us to be mothers and we desire that from where we sit right now. So let's, uh, 
let's get on with it. Let's get married. And I think all of our daughters are like, we would, we would like to get married as soon as possible. That's one of the downstream effects of getting this right is you go, sex is designed for marriage and children. And I want both of those things. So uh, it tends to lead you into kind of a new stage of maturity. God's vision for marriage, the family, sex, all of that. And if you can build that as a robust structure in your kids' minds, you're way ahead of the game in helping them, you know, do what we're trying to do here, which is build multi-generational, healthy, well-ordered households. I have a couple thoughts. Um, I think that if this is something that's very unfamiliar for you, you did not grow up in a home that this was taught, you don't have examples, like take this as an invitation to find a mentor. Or if you're a mom and you think, you know what, I hate being a mom. This is not fun. I don't feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. Find people that can walk beside you, help plant seeds about what motherhood is, what it looks like. Same thing with fatherhood. I think that for people that come from homes that this isn't something that was taught or modeled, it can feel really foreign. So find someone who's, you know, five, six, 10 years ahead of you um, and seems to have this dialed in and ask them, what, what are you doing? What are you studying in the Bible? What are you reading? How are you working in your marriage? How are you honoring your husband? How's your husband loving you? All these things, if they feel unfamiliar, don't think you have to reinvent the wheel. Um, there is always, always opportunity to learn and um, mature and grow in this process, no matter where you're at in it. That's right. And if you need if you need some episodes, we've got one on finding mentors. You can go back and listen to that. And we've got one on why don't I like being a dad, if that's you. So some of that might apply to to motherhood too. Um, but I think we're, we're done for today. Hopefully this was helpful. My, my encouragement to you if you're listening is it, you do not have to get this 100% right at all. So you are so far ahead of the game just by listening to Amelia's stories about having talked to kids who do make it to her fifth grade or eighth grade maturation talk and haven't had any talks with their parents. Um, you know, and that's in a Christian school where supposedly we've got a similar worldview. Um, I think that um, just by s- trying to tackle this, you're so far ahead of the game. So I just want to bless you and say, you are the right people for the job uh, of, of teaching this to your kids. And you don't have to get it completely right, um, but you're doing something really important and and you're you're a hundred percent putting your your kids and your family ahead of the curve just by attempting these conversations wow what a wide-ranging conversation that was touching on all kinds of things that i bet you didn't expect to be hearing from us today um and you know it's such a broad topic of talking with your children about their bodies and about sex and about relationships and about social media that there have to be questions um, out there that are, um, you want details, you want specifics. Well, I, I want to remind you that Amelia is very used to fielding all kinds of questions, both from patients as well as students in her workshops. So we would always like to, I've got to throw this in, we'd always like for you to like us, we'd like you to subscribe, we'd like for you to share, all of that kind of stuff. But we would also just say that whether you email us, whether you put something in the comments section, or you're talking to us over at AWHQ, 
We'd love to hear your questions and Amelia has volunteered. Of course, I'll respond to anybody's questions. So please do that. And I'm gonna send you over to the video that Mark referenced, which is called, Why Don't I Love Being a Dad?